minutes tonight. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 4. I uh, delight in being here. Uh, and thank the good Lord for air conditioning. <laughs> Brother Rupert called me today and he said, uh, I've noticed on the Weather Channel that you're getting our heat. And I said, you could have kept it. <laughs> oh my goodness, the tomatoes just go crazy. I just, yeah. We're going to be here in the, the book of Revelation, chapter 22. And this verse is directly connected to the previous verse, verse 3, by a colon. So I'd like to read both of those verses, even though we did it a little bit on verse 3 last time. And there shall be no more curse. And I have to say that once the Lord saves us by his grace, we are not under the curse anymore. Now. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. The curse is over. Now we deal with it in our gardens, and we deal with it in our bodies. We deal with it with people, but we don't deal with it with Christ. That's over. The curse is over. He was cursed for us. I really appreciate the message that Brother Marvin brought about he became sin, sin for us. You know, The more uh, we hear about that, the more we are thankful for his work on the cross that the work that he performed, that he was able to take our sin and deal with it, and deal with it completely, and deal with it totally, and it will never raise its head again against the elect. It is the elect that God justifieth, who shall bring any charge, any charge to God's elect. It is God that justifieth. So as we read here, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Now, I like what the Lord said, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. That is going to be the activity of all of God's sheep. They will follow Christ. If we don't, then we don't know him. That's it. If they don't, uh, the only people that I've ever been around that have ever, ever considered things rightly when it comes to parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, and children are people who believe in God's free and sovereign grace. They will never, ever say, just because my dad made a profession of faith, he's in the kingdom. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me, and they will follow grace. They will not get in a tither, bitter over grace. And the same goes with everybody else. So my sheep hear my voice. They will pay attention to grace. They will love grace. They will appreciate grace. It is the only way out of the pit. And then... In verse 4, and they shall see his face. Now, we get a glimpse of that today when God saves us. In this gospel day, we get a glimpse of that. Yet the Bible tells us that it is as through a glass darkly. We have a, we have a veil over us. We have this old flesh over us. Our spiritual eyes see perfectly. But we have this veil over us, and that veil will be taken away. 
when we pass through the valley of the shadow of death, and this becomes true reality, but I want to say that everything that we found in the book of Revelation with regard to the blessings that God has for his church in time and for eternity is also for time. We have blessings in time. They may not be as, well, they are not what we shall have, but they are there. We have the down payment. We have the we have the Holy Spirit seal. We have all of those blessings now. So when we read there's no more curse, we deal with it, but there's no more curse. Then there'll be no more curse. We won't even deal with it. It won't be even part of our thought processes. So everything that God has for his church shared with us in this book is time and for eternity. There is a change that God makes in us. Thou shalt see his face. Now, I was reading one of my favorite books the other day, uh, Deuteronomy. <laughs> I, you know, for a long time I thought, I'm going to get through this book. <laughs> I may have to be the Reader's Digest version. But I was reading this the other day. In fact, I had my computer on and I was listening to it be read while I was reading it. And I really enjoy that. But would you turn with me, keeping your finger here, would you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11? Now, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 10 and 11, have a lot to do with this book of Revelation. has a lot to do with the new birth. has a lot to do with spiritual things. And the Lord, through Moses, is explaining this to the children of Israel. Remember that all those that were of war age have died off. They did not they could not, if you please, enter into the promised land. It takes the second birth to enter in. It takes the second group to enter in. You're not going to enter into the promised land on your first birth. It takes the new birth. And that's just an illustration the Lord shows us. And even when they, he told them that they're not going to enter in, they said, well, we'll just get ready and go in ourselves. And that's just rebellion in the heart, and we hear it every day when we visit with religious people. I'm going to do it my way anyway. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 10, excuse me, chapter 11, verses 10 and 11, Moses shared this. And this is comparing Egypt and Canaan, comparing the old life and the new life. Now, I didn't know what it all meant until I found out what one word meant in here. Now, listen to this. Verse 10, For the land whither thou goest in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt, from whence ye came out, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest with thy foot. I says, whoa. That's a tread wheel. Now I've seen pictures of those still used in Egypt where they had to pump their own water. They were effort. It was their effort. And he said, this land will not be like Egypt. You're not going to work for the water. Because it goes on and says, as the garden of herbs, but the land where ye go to possess it is the land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. The work is over. No more treadmills. No more people sitting on a bicycle seat 
pumping with their feet, trying to get enough water so they can have their herb garden. He said the land of Egypt was like that, but this land is not like that. Now, he's making a statement here. He's making a statement that is applied throughout the entire Bible, book of Revelation included, when we see, as it says there, and they shall see his face. It's not by treadmill. It's by rain from heaven. Now, rain, we all know the water cycle. It's taught in all science classes. Third graders know the water cycle. We see it, and we let it happen to us, but we are not involved. Water runs down the Columbia River, goes out in the Pacific Ocean. Heat hits it, it evaporates, goes up in clouds, comes across in cloud form and drops. Now, how much did we have to do with that? Just as much as we had to do with our spiritual birth. It's an act of God. It's a miracle. You can see it happen. You know it's coming, but you can't make it happen. All right, now, that's Egypt. The land you're going to is not like Egypt. You're not going to sit on treadmills pumping water for a garden. It's going to fall from heaven. Now, that's the spiritual. That's what we get. And that's what we have here in this book, chapter 22, verse 4, as well as the whole book. They shall see his face, and this is not by works, but this is by revelation. And we're going to look at some verses that share that with us as we find the same word in other places in the New Testament. But would you turn with me uh, on your way back to the book of Revelation to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We have limited sight, but we do have sight. A couple years ago when I woke up and this eye was just a, a blank, I knew what I was missing. And when they say that it was retina, retina detachment, I didn't know all that meant, but I knew I couldn't see. Now, as good a sight as I have now, in that it beats what I had. And as good a sight as we have of Christ beats what we had. When we are spiritually blind and cannot see any spiritual blessings about Christ, we are dead. We are treble-hooked dead. I kind of appreciated what Brother Mar Marvin had to say about floating down the river. He's going to have to snag us because we can't reach for the lifeline. Throw out the lifeline. Throw out the lifeline. Won't do a bit of good. It takes the grace of God, and thank God for big treble hooks. One time I went fishing with my father-in-law in Alaska. We went into a sporting goods store. He's looking for hooks. I says, what are we looking for? He says, we're looking for a special hook. I says, what kind of hook is it? He says, I'll find it here in just a minute. Pretty soon he got a hold of treble hooks, and the whole thing was probably this big around, three hooks. I says, how in the world are we going to catch fish with that? He says, I'll show you. We went out there on the river, flipped over there, shoot! Oh, got one right in the side. Pull it in. We'll eat it. Now, is it illegal as all get out, but we got the fish. <laughs> Those were live fish, too. You know, thank God for big treble hook of grace, big treble hook of gospel, big treble hook, or we'd float down the river to eternity, and that would be death, eternal death. All right. Now, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, it shares this. 
For now we see through a glass. I like that though. Now we see. <laughs> That's better than what we had. Dead blindness. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. We see, but through a glass darkly. What that means is when you read the scripture, thank God you have a little idea what L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D means. Sovereign God. Thank God you know a little bit about that. You may not know another thing about the whole verse, but thank God we know a little bit about that one word. I looked up to this, this evening. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's used about 1,300 times in the Old Testament. It's that Jehovah, sovereign God. He didn't leave Israel alone. He took care of them. He was their God, even though they didn't trust him. He led them. He's just showing us what he must do even to them. If they're going to even get from this point to that point, he's going to have to lead them. What does he do for us spiritually? He leads us from this point to that point, or we'll never get there. We see through a glass darkly, then face to face. Now I know in part. I don't feel too bad sometimes. <laughs> Lord, I just don't understand this. You know in part. I've shown you in part. But then shall I know even also as also I am known. Now that's going to be the tremendous revelation to wake up in the presence of the Lord, to wake up in glory, to be translated in that way. But now we do see, though in part, through a glass darkly, yes, but we do get to see the God of glory appears unto his people today. We not, may not understand this, but he still does appear to his people and takes them out of the position that they're in and places them in the kingdom of his dear son. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, and we find here again that this blessed figure, that though we don't understand completely, God never said we would. Through a glass darkly, we see. Yet it's through a glass darkly. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall appear, when he shall appear. Now, you know, I don't have it all figured out now. But it does say, now are we the sons of God. What a miracle. God took rebels. God took worms. I like that song we just sang, Brother Mike. Worms. And makes them his children. What a blessing. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Through a glass darkly now, then face to face, what we do see, that's the miracle. God took dead rebels and made them alive and gave them a new heart. And this heart, this heart loves the glory of God. This heart rejoices in him. And though we see through a glass darkly, we do get to see. He leads us. We press towards the mark. 
We head for Christ Jesus the Lord. He is all and in all our sustenance, our bread of life, and our water of life. Our spiritual well-being is in Christ. It is not in a tricycle with a pump on it watering our herbs. It is rain falling down from heaven, the spiritual blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we pass through the valley, the veil will be lifted. When we pass through the valley, the veil will be lifted. It will be taken off and will not be disappointed. It will be grander than we thought because we're still thinking with this old Adamic thought process. Our spirit is already understanding what it is. That's the blessing. He's left his down payment. He's left his spirit with us. He's given us something that never was before, created us life, and that will be taken care of. Now this word see, I just have to, I just have to think of it. it. It's a miracle word. It's a miracle word. Uh, to see is a very special word. It's like like having no sight and then getting it. It's, it's a miracle sight according to how it's used in the New Testament. And there are several verses I'd like to look at. And I think we'll get through this and we'll close. But it's just miracle sight. It's, it's just, it's the unexplained sight. It's the unexplainable occurrences. It's the things that happened that weren't expected. Zacharias was met at the altar by an angel. He didn't go to, down to the temple one day and say, well, I think the angel's coming today. He went down there, and was he surprised? Because the angel of the Lord met him. Turn with me, if you were, this is the second one we're going to look at, but turn with me to the book of Matthew. We'll look at Luke and Zacharias in just a moment. But in the book of Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, the same word see is found. It says, and they shall see his face. This is not by treadmill. This is by rain. We don't see Christ by reading the scriptures a hundred times. I'll never forget. And it, was just, it was brought to my attention today as I was out in my study. I was asked by Nancy to watch Nathan when he was just little. She was doing something in the house. And I had my, my proud little New Testament here, and I was watching him in the yard out there, and I says, I'm going to read this two or three times while I'm watching him, and I'm going to learn what's in this book. It didn't happen. I had no idea until Christ revealed his son to me what this book was even about. It was religious rigor. Some of you are shaking your heads. You know what I'm talking about. It's religious rigor. This is the book of religious rigor until Christ is revealed, and then it's the book of Christ and freedom and redemption and a redeemer and a savior. It just takes on a totally new view. We lose the rigor in it. We get to sit down at the right hand of Christ. All right, Matthew Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. This word is used here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now that word see is the same word that we find over here. But these beatitudes are not just people that come along and say, well, I feel really 
uh, really down and pure and I've gone through the grind and I've climbed 400 steps on glass and on my knees and I just feel really good and humble before the Lord and proud of it and now I'm pure. No! This is an activity of the Holy Spirit. The Beatitudes are explaining the new birth. It is an attitude of God working in us. We'll never accomplish that. Oh, blessed are the peacemakers. I don't know how many times that's been given to renegades. Oh, he's a peacemaker. That's not the kind of peace he's talking about. This is peace in the soul. A man settled with the Creator. But this is blessed. Blessed are the meek for, or excuse me, there in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Without the new birth, we shall not even see the kingdom of God. It is absolutely essential. And it's God-given. It's rain from heaven. It's not sitting on a treadmill. It's not bringing water out of the, out of the Nile River and putting it on a field. It's not carrying it. It's falling from heaven. It's a blessing of grace. That's what this is. All right, now let's look in Luke chapter 1. There are a number of other places, but I just picked out a few here that demonstrate what this word has to say to us. In, in uh, Luke chapter 1, and there in verse 11, Zacharias, he's doing his part. He's, uh, he's gone down there, and he's doing his part as a priest. And it says in verse 11, and there appeared. This word appeared. This is miracle. This is not Zacharias. This is God's work. Zacharias is going through the physical form of his religion, doing what he knows to do. And I believe that Zacharias was a believer, but he's still doing what he was told to do. But what's it say? There appeared, there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. This is unexpected. This is not something that was planned by Zacharias. This is something God planned. God purposed. Oftentimes when we find this angel of the Lord in Scripture, we're looking at Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate. There are times it appears that he's even doing that when he's in his mother's womb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto those shepherds. Now, I don't understand all I know about it, but there's some things that happened there that was just plain miraculous, unexpected, out of the ordinary. We're so used to going through this rigor that when God brings the gospel to us and we hear it and he opens our heart and regenerates us and gives us a new heart, it's astonishing. You know, we weren't expecting it. It was beyond us. In fact, we're probably backpedaling from it. But God in his grace, as he says here, appeared. There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar in sense. And he is fearful of this. This is beyond his daily activity. This hasn't happened before. Well, it goes on to explain what's going to happen. John the Baptist is going to be born. All right, let's look at another one. John 11. John 11. Now, if you remember, this is as uh, we gone through it, and Mike went through it. This is the, the resurrection of Lazarus. This is the raising of Lazarus. But I 
I've never paid attention to this verse like I should have, like most verses. I should have paid closer attention. But look at there, John 11, verse 40. John 11, verse 40, and it says here, Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. You should see. Now, what is he going to do in just short order? He's going to raise a man that's been dead four days. You're going to see the glory of God. If you believe, you shall see the glory of God. What a statement is made here about the resurrection. What God allows us to see the glory of God when he gives us a new heart. We've seen the glory of God, the mercy of God, the regenerative work of God. Though we don't understand it, something's happened. We've been taken from deadness to life. We've been taken from rigor to Love and mercy of God. It's inexplainable. We can't put our hands on it. We don't have it. Kind of like I was visiting with Marvin about Joshua. Joshua and Jennifer are coming out next Monday. You know, I'll tell you right now, I'll probably mention it Sunday, next Wednesday too. But Joshua, he, he knows that he's a living creature. He's having fun. Life is good. But you ask him when he was born, he says, does it matter? <laughs> so what? So what? Here I am. My goodness. It doesn't matter when it matters that. It matters that. That's important. Have you seen the glory of God? Now that's, that's not treadmill glory. That's not treadmill sight. That's not working furiously and with rigor. That's rain. Well, I don't think I'll ever look at the rain like I will now. I've never looked at it like that. Here I was working. I had thighs this big. <laughs> work, 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 and never, ever any rest. And now it's just a gentle rain. He'll take care of it. It's his mercy and his grace that he sheds upon us without cause from us. We pray and thank him for it, but we didn't promote it. We don't get it. By prayer, he doesn't do it. He does it, and we thank him for it. That's what we do. So here, you shall see. There in John chapter 11 and verse 40, and as we read over there, and they shall see his face. It's a miracle to see the face of Christ. It's not something that is normal. It's something that is abnormal with us, with the human race. If God should ever show the worm the face of God, what glory. And we get to see it now, though through a glass darkly. Don't just think everything is then. I read some of these old Puritans and I wonder what kind of life did they really have? They write books on how you should feel, you know, imposed upon all the time. You should be at your altar all the time. Well, 
My altar is Christ. I'm thankful every day. He's my hope. I'm not impinged upon by the law because he took care of it. I love him for it. I'm thankful for it. Lord only knows I think more ill and do more ill than I've ever wanted to, but it happens. But I'm thankful I can come to Christ. Bow to him. As it says there, said I not unto thee, if thou shouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. And then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, thankful for the, those women. That's who he's praying. So, I'm going to do this for them. I'm doing it for the elect. I'm doing it for my disciples. I'm doing it for all that you have given me. I, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm doing this. And it said there, verse 43, and we had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And there was never a greater demonstration of the glory of God in the eyes of those people than when he appeared to them in their regeneration. They saw the same glory. Now, Acts chapter 7, verse 2. This is about Abraham down in Ur of the Chaldees. Now, this is before he had the Muslim race and the Jewish race. He's just down there, and Joshua tells us that Abraham worshipped other gods on the other side of the flood, and that means the other side of the Euphrates River, where he was brought out from. He's down there doing his religious thing. He pumped more water with his treadmill. He was religious to the core. He just spent most of his time on that treadmill down there. He worshipped other gods. Now, the storm is coming. The rain is about to fall. God's grace is about to appear. Notice this. Now, this isn't what, it doesn't seem to be when he was regenerated. It seems to be when God began to pull him out. Later, it says, and that's what we have quoted in the New Testament, he believed God. And that was accounted unto him for righteousness. But it just goes to show that God appears to his elect before they're regenerated and does many things with them. Leads them, draws them, moves them. And I've heard people say, he moved my job. I've heard people say, he moved the preacher. I've heard people, all kinds of things happen. And that's just what it is. Now notice here in Acts chapter 7, verse 2, he said, men hearken, men, brethren, fathers, hearken, the God of glory. Now that's only one person. That's the Lord God Almighty appeared. Now that's the word see that we find in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 4. That's the same word. The Lord of glory appeared. Now, Abraham was content with where he was. And if the Lord of glory had not appeared unto him, he'd have stayed there. He never would have left. He'd have continued in his role of pumping water onto his herbs. 
he never would have got out where the rain was. God took him out so he could rain on him. He saw God. God gave him belief. He believed God. And that's all that was necessary for him to ever do. God counted that as righteousness because he believed God. God gave him his righteousness. But the God of glory appeared unto him. And that is essential. That is necessary. He will never save anybody without him appearing unto them in the gospel. So the God of glory appeared in him. Now this is Stephen in his defense, but he starts right back there where that family started. Israel started. Their father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. And when he was dealing with, with Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, two or three or four times, he said, I'm kind to you because I made a covenant with them. We're my people because I made a covenant with them. It's not that you're the best or the biggest. You're really insignificant, but I made a covenant with them. And that's where all their blessings lie, in the covenant. And that's where our blessings lie, is in the covenant of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, back up, if you would, to Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. And it says here, the Lord appeared. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days. There was people, his disciples, that saw him. And there was still a multitude that believed the story of the guys watching the tomb while we slept. Because it says... This is commonly believed even until this day. The day that was written. Commonly believed. While we slept, the guard slept, which was a capital offense. While the guard slept, while we slept, they came and stole his body. Now, here is those, though, that being seen, that's that word, uh, being seen of them 40 days and speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God he was seen and this is brought out if you turn over to me with me to 1st Corinthians chapter 15 in this one passage of scripture in four verses we have this four times this word is used that shares with us the absolute essentialness of having sight that comes from God 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. What a statement is made here. Well, we have Paul saying in verse 1, I declare unto you the gospel. And then he gives us a, a real straightforward statement about what the gospel is. And then in verse 5, he says, and that he was seen of Cephas. That word seen is the same word that we find over there in the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 4. See his face. He was seen of Cephas. The Lord revealed himself. You know, we know. It says there in Luke, the last chapter, he was seen by two disciples. They had no idea who he was. Then he was seen by them, and they knew who he was. He revealed himself to them. That's what this is, is to be seen, 
to be seen miraculously, revealed miraculously, open-hearted miraculously, new heart miraculously seeing God. And in verse 6 it says, and after that he was seen of about 500 brethren at once. He was seen. He revealed himself. I am the Lord. I am the Lord God Almighty. I'm the Messiah. I'm Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I'm the King of the Jews. Whatever term they wanted to look at, he was seen by them. And then the next verse it says, and after that he was seen of James. And then all the apostles he was seen. This is the resurrected one. This is the resurrected glory of God. And then finally, I love this one. Because we get to put our names there if we want. If we can. Last of all, he was seen of me. Last of all, he was seen of me. Last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. He was seen of me. I got to see him. Religion kept him blind. Christ caused him to see. This is a miraculous seeing. Just not common. Not long ago, not too long ago, <laughs> 10 years or so, there were these books going around with these pictures. If you stared at them long enough, they just boom, <laughs> popped right out at you. And people would look at those and look at those and say, there's nothing there. And some people would look at it and say, oh, look at that horse. Look at that fish. Look at that motorcycle. Look at that, you know. Well, we don't see Christ the same way because it isn't by staring at him that we get to see him. It's a miracle. But there is some thought there. He is revealed to some and not to others. They can't see a thing. That happened during his public ministry. And there was a whole bunch of Hittites, Hivites, Jebusites, and, and other people that could have cared less about Israel being led by God. They were willing to go to battle against them at any time. And it was interesting, the book of Deuteronomy says, if you go up to a city, you sue for peace first. And if they want to be your servants, let them live. Not one city did that. We don't want to be your servants. Well, that's just the attitude people have towards God if they don't have a changed heart. I'm not going to be your servant. I'm king. Well, one verse left. Would you turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. Hebrews, chapter 9. And we have one other verse where this word is used. They shall see him. We shall see him. They shall see his face. Hebrews chapter 9 and in verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And upon them that look for him shall he appear, that's the same word, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now, only the church is anticipating the coming of Christ. Only the church will anticipate this appearance. The church is anticipating. It's not going to be a bad deal for God's people to have Christ come back. 
not too long ago, a guy down in California, everybody I visited with, every believer that I visited with, said, boy, that'd be great if it really happened. <laughs> Lord came back, be great. Nobody. But I'll tell you what, he's never called on any preacher to predict the date. Never. He's never asked. In fact, when the disciples asked him about, is it now you're going to restore the kingdom? <laughs> That's not what he came for, to restore the Israeli kingdom. He says, I'm not going to discuss that with you, but I will discuss this. I'm coming again. I will come back. And that's what, when we take the Lord's Supper, just do and remember to me until he returns. So, the second time, he's coming back. Now, it's not going to be secretive. It's going to be with a loud voice, loud trumpet. It's not going to be a rapture. It's going to be God taking his people and putting them on the right-hand side and taking the rest and putting them on the left-hand side because he can sort them out. And then he's just going to say what he said, and eternity is going to start. This thing is going to be over with. It's not going to take him 5,000 years to judge all the people. In Christ, out of Christ. Welcome, depart. That's not difficult. We read here, and it's so true throughout all the scriptures, and they shall see his face. It will be like rain, God-given. It will not be like a treadmill, man-produced. All right.